episode. My big ears. A man with scissors. Ah, I'm stabbing things with my hands. Ow. Bought an Ewan McGregor. We bought a man in a black suit. We bought Alice in Wonderland. We bought a home for peculiar children. We bought a Michael Keaton. We bought a B-list filmmaker named Ed Wood. We bought a Beetlejuice. Don't a Beetlegeist. We Beetlejuice. Hey guys, welcome to We Bought a Mic. Yeah. I am Ernest Calderon. I am Hunter Mobley. And I'm Drew Dietzen. And this is an important episode. This is a paradigm shifting We Bought a Mic. We are splitting the episode in two. So essentially the same episode, just in two parts on different days of the week so whenever you're listening to this maybe you're listening to this before the other part or after the other part well whatever this, this one be. is coming out first it is coming out first okay but maybe they choose to listen to it choose your own adventure podcast yeah this is the the bandersnatch of podcasts oh but right. yeah by the way if you play all our episodes backwards it's some trippy shit <laughs> there are no words you don't hear it that's actually just what cli- the movie climax is but i'll talk <laughs> yeah. about that later so yeah yeah today we are getting into our top three Tim Burton movies. It's been Burton week, guys. It's been pretty fun. I like doing this. Um, maybe this is a tough unnecessary. List. I'm gonna tell you guys now. This is a tough list, to right? Make. Yeah. No, he had he had a fucking run, dude. He had a run. Um, but and it's right right up here through Dumbo. Do you guys should we talk about Dumbo first? Yeah, we should because I guess we should because. I my thing is that we should keep doing the the filmmaker series without watching the new movie that is not <laughs> good. But hey, I I don't know about you guys, but Dumbo might make my list for top three. I, Tim okay, movies. I did. Okay, feel okay. Top three: Tim Burton. Number three: Dumbo. Dumbo. Number two: Dumbo. Dumbo. Number one: Dumbo. Yeah. It's gotta number, be number one is actually Jumbo Junior. So. <laughs> I was I will admit I was feeling very resentful in the theater watching Dumbo. I was like, why am I? I don't let's fucking watch. Let's this. get this out of the way, and we'll. I guess should we spoil? Is there much to spoil? Let's. I mean, we can briefly give thoughts about Dumbo. Um, I did not like this movie. It was a waste of time. I wish it was better because I love Colin Farrell. I will ride his flying elephant any day of the week. Love Colin Whoa. Farrell. Love Michael Keaton. Love Danny DeVito. I see this movie suffers from what I'm going to call the Phantom Menace problem, Whoa. where it doesn't have a protagonist. Like, who's the protagonist in the Phantom Menace? Is it Anakin? Is it Qui Gon? Is it Obi Wan? Mm. Is it Padme? Mm. I don't know. In Dumbo. The closest thing we have to a protagonist it's is Colin, Colin Farrell. Farrell, but he's not super likable. No, and no, the, definitely not. The person that takes the most screen time, other than him, is his fucking daughter, Who's... who is horrible. Okay, so um, so, <laughs> all right, we can just go ahead and talk about that now because that's spoiler. Fucking terrible. I'm so, sorry. Ta- talking bad about child actors. I know. It's so ta- yes, down upon. I understand child acting. We ran into a, this issue with Wrinkle and Time. It's a very hard thing to do. This is Tandy Newton's daughter. Uh, what? Yeah, this yeah. is Tandy Newton's daughter. He dropped that on me after I saw it. And yeah. I was like, 
No. So she did not take after her mother. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah, so we've maybe been, she'll get I, better. To be fair, I think that we've been spoiled in the last year or two with like, re- like truly great yeah. child acting. Yeah, the this Predator. This <laughs> this isn't something that's always been like child acting used to just always be bad. And it's something that you just kind of have to just be like, all right, well, whatever. Well, let's move on to the next thing. Like other than like think about old movies with great child acting like Empire of the Sun. Oh, Christian Bale. Fuck yeah. And Ben Stiller is in that movie. Six Sense. Boy. Huh? Six yeah, Sense. Yeah, like the Outsiders. Great child acting. Yeah. That's... There's there's some examples, but they're kind of few and far between. Max Keeble's but big now... move. Stand by me. Yeah, Stand By Me. That's mm-hmm. another good one. Max Keeble's big move. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so <laughs> so, okay, so what here. you're saying is there's no excuse then for bad child acting. <laughs> no, there's, yeah. No, I I mean, I agree. There, It's it, it's it, almost to be expected. Child acting should be illegal. It's fucked up that we make kids do this. <laughs> there, I was reading up on the history of child acting, and it's like a dark past, obviously, yeah. with everything coming out about like Brian Singer. These kids are being exploited. The only reason it's allowed is because... The law saw that there was no viable alternative to casting children, uh, which is, you know, technically that is true. Like if they cast like full grown adults as little kids, you'd be laughing your way through the movie. But like she's still bad. And we're allowed to say that she's bad. Yeah. And I'm very Especially, sorry. Especially, I mean. You, uh, well, you, okay, I don't want to just shit on her because the son is yeah, also but bad. He doesn't he have get screen nearly time. as many yeah. lines. And also, I'm going to not totally blame her because her lines suck. Yeah, so like, okay. they totally sucks. So this leads into a point that I'm gonna make. I'm sorry, Harry, friend of the podcast. He really wanted me to come on here and be the stand for Dumbo, because he enjoyed Dumbo. Uh, there's some good scenes. There are some good scenes, I will say. But my fatal flaw with Dumbo is that it has a script written for children with adult themes, and therefore it alienates everybody. It's a movie for no one. Okay, yeah, so it's what happened it's, with Christopher that's what, Robin. That's, and that's what uh, we were talking, I talked to Drew right yeah. after we both saw this on Friday, and like we're talking with each other, and we're like, what was the last film that like just alienated everybody? It's Christopher Robin. Yeah. Which I enjoyed more than either of you guys, but still This like, is worse than Christopher it's, Robin. It's without a doubt worse than Christopher yeah. Robin. Well, like There are good themes, there are good ideas ideas in here like there's a good movie underneath all the shit like maybe a good short film in here that you can patch together and we're gonna get into the hypocrisy of this movie later because it is irony it is baffling that this is a disney product Um, (laughs) but yeah but i yeah i do want to expand on that point because it's so interesting to me and i i think i figured out what the point of these movies is um because at a certain age the kid kind of it, you know the like the surge we had of like these wish fulfillment children's movies where the kid was like mom i want to see max keeble take me to the theater right now um this is the opposite of that this is for kids who are too young to demand to see a movie this is when they're still at the age where their mom is making the choices of yes. what they're seeing so it's the moms are like oh yeah i remember dumbo i've seen it like we can go there with like a big group i went to a theater that was packed with like it was five-year-old kids they weren't very interested the parents were more interested but they didn't really i don't think they could have liked it either so it ends up in the middle but it has it has that little uh lesson for colin farrell where it's like hey believe in your kids it's yeah yeah so this <laughs> it just uh... it exists just as a concept to get people to the theater it doesn't exist to be good so it exists to get people there this uh movie i have a little anecdote um i saw this movie and uh, right next to me, we saw this in the Dolby screening at uh, AMC Altamont, and we're sitting there watching it. And next to me, I like got to the theater a little bit early. I'm sitting down there, and some it was a dad and his son were there, and he was so excited because he was like, "This is the first time I'm gonna see a movie in Dolby." 
He was so <laughs> the excited. Little, the kid was You could tell that. like he like was so excited. He was just like, This is the one like I've been waiting for. They had nachos, popcorn, they yeah. each had a soda, like they were ready to go for Dumbo. Dude, we gotta, and we gotta bring got this out, kid on. They got out of the theater and you know, like when you're a kid and you see a movie, you immediately as soon as it's over just want to talk about it and everything. They just stood up and walked out of the theater silently. <laughs> And that's how I know that this kid was disappointed in this movie. D- dumb so, B. this movie is dumb a fucking B. bummer for kids. I don't think this is a kids movie. Like this yeah. is a, this is a, like what's uplifting they, about this? They want it to be a kids movie because the children are like borderline the protagonists of the movie. Well, yeah, and that's that's how we get to our conclusion that this is for parents who make their kids go see it. Like that's who it's for. Um, I will say the original Dumbo, like 1941 or whatever. I mean, it's, it's bad. It sucks. It's a, it's like an hour long. It's half singing. Uh, there's a lot of racism. <laughs> there, there's a, a lot of some there's crows. A, there's named a gang Jim of crows. I seen it recently. There, yeah, there's a gang of crows who are all voiced, I think by white men doing like black voice. Oh, and no. the leader is named Jim Crow. Like it's boy it's, oh boy, it's made in nineteen forty six. Yeah, I think. damn it, Walt and, Disney, and it has a deeply upsetting sequence in it for children. Yeah, the trippy, so uh, like elephant. Yeah, so like bubbles. I, I remember seeing it when I was a kid, and like I thought it sucked. Like I was like, this is horrible. So like, it's not like it's like like with the Jungle Book. I I it, that wasn't bad, but I was disappointed just because the Jungle Book meant so much to me. But this meant nothing to me going in, and I was still disappointed. I like I like the songs in the original Dumbo. I so do I, and like I actually I really thought that this could be a good movie, like a good Tim Burton movie, just because the original Dumbo. While I I hardly remember anything about that movie because I haven't seen that movie in probably close to twenty years at this point. But I just remember, like, the movie had lots of themes of, like, animal cruelty and kind of the, the problems with the whole carnival scene and everything and else like that. And the mom was a character, and right? The mom, and it's, it seemed like it could be something that would apply very well to 2019 when you look at something like animal cruelty, things like PETA and stuff like that have come more in the forefront and people are more aware than ever. But instead, this movie doesn't give a shit about telling the story of animal cruelty. Set wants to make a statement on capitalism. <laughs> Yeah. Which, which is so- coming from the American dream that is Walt Disney buying up corporations. We, buy the, we this movie came out a week after Disney finalized the deal to buy Fox and essentially create a monopoly for movie studios. S- should we just spoil? Yeah, well, I mean, let's yeah. just go ahead and get it. Do you guys want to read so, it? What's well, listen, your rating? I, I what's just your, what's I, your, what did you guys rate this? Like Harry, I respect you, and I wish you were on to because that you're you're actually like I like your takes. Uh, this I'm just complimenting Harry at this point. <laughs> yeah, no, I just like Harry nice more pet. than the movie. I, I wish you were on just because I I really <laughs> want to try to understand because I was as when I was watching it, I was thinking I couldn't recommend this to any adult. You know, I couldn't. I could recommend it to a someone who ne- needs to take their kid to a movie, and maybe they don't want to see like all those crappy the the knockoff Pixar style animated oh, ones yeah. that look because those look like they're probably worse than this ugly um, dolls yeah like that yeah like they they they're like we have a choice here like we're just gonna take my kid to see Dumbo because it has the stars and Timber and etc. But I couldn't recommend this to a freestanding adult who just wants to go see like this movie. I couldn't say you have to see it. I I couldn't see that angle. You know what I mean? I would give this 
somewhere around like a five. I get that it's not for me, but I also don't see who it's for. My my girlfriend Allison is a school teacher, and she one of the first things she said was, "My kids would hate this movie." She knows yeah. she knows what they like to watch, and she was like, "They would hate this." It was it was droll. It was dark. It had all this adult themes. They don't like that. They like to laugh. <laughs> like yeah, I'm I'm gonna forget this movie like it's so forgettable it's already fading from my memory what happens yeah, in this movie when, when I was in the theater I was like enjoying a lot of it because I really like Colin Farrell in this I actually think that he gives the best performance in the film um but the the girl made me so angry every time she was talking and I really wanted more from Danny DeVito and more from Michael Keaton. I did not like Michael Keaton in this. Dude, which okay, I, I agree. Was, I was so surprised because he's a tremendous actor. Like, he's so talented. But in this, he's, like, hamming it up in the worst way. Yeah. DeVito uh, hammed it up in a good way, I think. De- DeVito, yes, DeVito, I, I did like I enjoyed him. him. Yeah. He wasn't in the movie enough. Uh, I like how he's doing like a commercial for the circus at the very end. Yeah, that was that yeah, was that was, cool. that was cool. There are cool things in this. That's um, what I want to say. This isn't shit tier. The first like flying moment where there's like the the fire yeah. that Dumbo has to put out. That's from the cartoon, right? I remember. I that. I, I, do, I believe so. Yeah, I believe and, that is. And that's just, a that's an effective scene. And just the little subplot of Dumbo trying to reunite with his mom. Love it. Love it. Dumbo should have been the protagonist of the movie Dumbo. Yeah, well, just the, make Dumbo the the bleat. Well, the other stark difference we have is that the animals don't talk in this, and they do in the cartoon, right? Um, and that's a big shift to we have to focus on humans if the animals can't talk. You know, yeah, which is why this movie ultimately fails because <laughs> every adult that talks is just like, shut up! What are you talking about? So I I will say I actually was not as big into Colin Farrell in this movie. I thought that he was he's you can tell he's trying his best with the source material that he's given. Good southern accent. <laughs> he's an Irish he's man. He's an Irishman, so yeah, that's, you, you know, you don't I get credit. So. If you're a professional actor, Ireland, I'm not going to compliment you. Ireland for that. is basically the South Georgia of Europe. I mean, so. yeah. what <laughs> accent was Eva Green doing? It was like French. Yeah, kind she of, was French sometimes. a little. I I also want to say we need to if we're reviewing a kids movie, we are retiring the phrase uh, it had a good message cuz it has to have a good message yeah, at this every point. Kids movie if it doesn't, there's a problem. But what's the message of this so, movie? The message burn is it all capitalism down. is bad. <laughs> burn. I wanted to go take a match and burn Disney World to yeah. the ground. After I did this. like how uh, Alan Alda was like the big investment banker, and he was like, "Hey, let's just get a." Hot dog. Oh, or Alan Arkin. Alan Arkin. Sorry. He's, he's watching the theme park burn down, and he's like, hey, let's get a hot I dog. Love, I, love, <laughs> <laughs> I love how they, he, they shot all his scenes in, like, two days, and there's that one shot of him, like, sitting down to watch the show, and he was like, all right, let's give the circus one more go, and he looks around, and, like, nobody's listening to what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so listen. I couldn't get any more extras I'm, in there. I'm going to give a few compliments to the movie. It is coherent. We understand right. what's Tim happening. Burton is a good yeah. director. On a moment-to-moment basis, we understand what's happening. It has several moments that I would call like borderline movie magic feeling, like when Dumbo's flying. There, yes. are, there are a few points where it's like truly, it looks good. But they do the the they the do the magic, same thing twice. Yeah, the magical fly yeah. at the last moment. You can't do that twice. It re- Come on. Yeah, it reminded me of Rain Man. How they just keep <laughs> trying to prove to you that he's a smart guy, and you're like, I know he's a smart guy. He's a smart guy, but. <laughs> It's just so it yeah it's coherent it has an aesthetic whether or not you enjoy it the thing I didn't like about the aesthetic is it kind of reminds me of Netflix's series of unfortunate offense uh, where 
it seems like everything is green screened, even when it didn't have to be. It just seems like everything to me looked a little bit animated. That show actually uh, uh, did more practical sets once they got more money. Yeah, in season latest. two. Yeah. But from season one, it was just like every background I didn't trust. And yeah. I, I had that feeling watching this where I was like, why don't I trust that this is a real... I, they could just be outside if they really like wanted I, to. I thought the outside stuff looked good. Maybe I saw this in 3D. So Whoa. maybe it's that, but I thought it all of the stuff outside looked pretty damn convincing. It, it's it varied from scene to scene for me. Because some of the yeah. stuff in the very beginning, it was like the lighting and stuff. It just seemed almost a little bit like, like uncanny. Soundstage. Yeah, it yeah, just seemed, it was a little lighting. bit too uncanny with like, look at how nice this yellow and purple lighting is illuminating everybody's face. It's like, well, that's not what any light well, actually <laughs> does. So just yeah, just shoot this outside in the middle of the day, and nobody will care. Anyways, well, that, that's one thing. Um, one thing with Tim Burton is like his realism yeah. sensibility. Like he doesn't. I guess we'll we don't have to get too into this right now. We can get into it later. But like one thing, when you go into a Burton movie, you're not expecting realism. No, no, and he plays with that really effectively in some of his other movies, better than this one. Um, I just I have to bring this up. I don't know if you guys noticed this, or if it or if it was just me. Did you notice that Colin Farrell's arm and where it's amputated changes throughout the movie? <laughs> I could not stop looking at there's it. There's one scene there's where one he's scene... eating a burger with two hands. <laughs> <laughs> so there's at one point when he first comes back, it looks like he like he's missing part of his shoulder. At another point in the movie, it's like mid bicep level, and at another point in the movie, it's like it's just like cut off right at the hinge of the yeah. arm and the shoulder. Like it moves throughout the movie, and, and it's like, is... how did this get past? Well, the post? This is the type of thing I'm talking about. They didn't go the extra mile and cut his arm off. And <laughs> like you can't expect me to believe this shit. Um, if but, Alan Arkin was in that role, he would have just chopped um, his fucking arm but, off. But, uh, well, another thing I do want to say is it's another reason it's hard to shit on these child actors is because they're a lot of the time they're interacting with Dumbo, who is to All them computers. A, yeah, yeah. a series of tennis balls or whatever, right. like a burlap sack on the ground. They're supposed to have an emotional connection to real actors have a lot of problem with that. In fact, in this movie, all the adults have the same problem. Uh, so to expect kids to really forge this bond with like a tennis ball is borderline mean. Like that's yeah. so hard to do. The, Danny DeVito's reaction to seeing Dumbo fly for the first time is like one of the best moments of acting in the whole yeah. movie. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. And I honestly, like, I do want to defend Michael Keaton a little bit because I do, <laughs> I actually enjoyed Michael Keaton. And the first time that he sees Dumbo fly, that, like, look of excitement that he has is, oh, yeah. like, it is really effective. Doesn't he say, like, you've made me a kid again? Yeah, yeah. Like he that? says, like, something yeah. along those lines of, like, you made me a child I just, again. I find it and, so weird that they put this character in this movie because it's Walt Disney. Essentially Walt Disney. Walt Disney. Are we in spoilers at this point so we can just kind of get right yeah. into it? Okay, I mean, yeah, yeah we're so spoilers. Okay. So, um, um, the first part, this almost felt like two very different movies that just got kind of smushed together into <laughs> one. Because at first, it really seems like this is going to be this story about like Dumbo trying to reunite with his mother. We have this song, which I think is a very effective song, written by Arcade Fire. Um, but not performed. Not performed until by the end and, credits. Yeah, the end credits is played by them. But uh, this, it's not written by them. That's the song from the old movie. Is it? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, the I new arrangement is by them. Right, yeah, right. New, yeah, yeah. But anyways, um, so we have that song by them in this like very effective scene where they're in the campfire, and that's what the first part of the movie seems like it's going to be. And then Michael Keaton's character comes in, hams it up for a bit, takes them to Disney World. It's, Di Dreamland. it's Dreamland. Basically just Soon to become Dreamland. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
<laughs> for following Green the same wave. logic that made Dumbo his name Dumbo. Um, yeah. So a uh, we take him there, and then it just becomes this whole message about very like anti corporate, anti capitalism man, like swallowing up all the good talent. That's bad, man. Meanwhile, Disney is just acquiring companies left and right. Harry uh, made the point that uh, that. This was Tim Burton making like a commentary on Disney and then just getting it snuck in under their nose. But like, I just didn't find it that smart, to be honest. Well, I, it seemed it's uh, it was so no, on the you nose. You don't get anything it, under Disney's nose. Yeah. That no, doesn't happen. No, and it's so on the nose that there's not something like, like there's no way that like that uh, the Disney exec saw this and were like, yeah, go on through. And Tim Burton's like, yes, I did <laughs> I it. I did it. <laughs> Like I don't know, it's this. It's puzzling that decision because, also, regardless of whether or not he was trying to stick it to them, he got a hefty paycheck from them. Yeah. <laughs> also, he didn't write the movie. Yeah, you're correct in that. So, so it isn't Tim it's Burton. Not him. Yeah, it's whoever, it's whoever wrote it. Yeah. But the way that it's actually visualized is him. Um, and the visualization of it is Disney World. Uh, yeah. So. But yeah, and Walt Disney. Like, yeah, <laughs> Michael Keaton is Walt Disney. Yeah. Like that's Except exactly like what he's somehow playing. like a evil German question mark version. And maybe that's also Walt Disney. Who knows? You know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> like. So if I were to play Doctor on this movie, the main. Uh, choice that I would make is to up the budget so that we could just go full animated, like mm. I, like no, we don't need human beings right in, in this movie. Yeah, yeah the exactly. Jungle Book treatment. Yeah, yeah, even not even Jungle Book because that's like in IRL like scenery and there's the kid. No humans whatsoever. It's an animated movie. Like skip it, like, skip Shrek. to the end of the movie. <laughs> like just make it an animated movie. Like when, when kids still watch other... those. <laughs> kids like animated movies. Why 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 do like Who Framed Roger Rabbit style? Like, why intersect? I, I don't understand. Well, that's the whole thing with these new remakes. The I know. Live action remakes. They're like, well, we already did the animated version. We got to do the real version. But also now. the animated version was fucking 70 years yeah, ago. It's a, time to just yeah. change it just up a little bit. Just do a 3D like, animated version. Like, I thought Dumbo looked good in this movie. Um, another funny thing. I don't remember if this is in the original. So Danny DeVito gets this elephant who has freakishly big ears. And he's like... No! <laughs> you have big ears! You can't be in my circus. <laughs> in the my, circus of freaks? Yeah, you, you can't be he, in my freak show. He actually makes the point, he's just like, I have too many fake freaks, I can't have a real one. And it's like, what? Yeah, he, he, thinks, he thinks a crowd of people is going to see the big ears and go, Boo! Like and then they do yeah, they later do, they on. Start throwing They're popcorn like, wait a minute, him. that's a freak elephant. <laughs> Boo! Like it literally You're in makes, a circus. It's nonsense. It's I, total nonsense. I love how like everything falls apart every time there's a there's a show. Like yeah. the the tent. How have they made collapses. it for this long? They and talk about it, how they're going broke, and it's like, yeah, you guys should yeah, be broke at this point. It. Nobody should be coming to your shows. Um. Also. I love that Colin Farrell scales like a fifty, a hundred foot tent with one arm. Yeah. How I I'll believe the elephant can fly. How did the one armed man scale the side <laughs> of the giant tent? But luckily, Danny DeVito came out the right time. Also, really cool. My favorite part of the movie was the reuniting of Danny DeVito with Max Mom from a. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. Who yeah. was the secretary? <laughs> that was genuinely great. Like I laughed out loud whenever I saw her. I was like, "Shouldn't she be like chain smoking cigarettes over there in the yeah, corner?" She pretty much is. She, she has a hor- she has some horrible lines in the movie, but yeah. you know, yeah, she. Does. That's I I just 
why did this movie? Uh, why does this movie exist? I just keep going back to I like, mean, why does this movie exist? I like the map at it, the beginning. It where kept, it shows the train going from Sarasota, Florida. It just, you know what uh, this cool. movie made me think of after like the fifteenth time that the daughter said something about science. It's just, <laughs> it's it made me think of Transformers: Age of Extinction. Of Optimus, you gotta take an interest in science. So that's I've, what I was going to. I put on your tinfoil hats, guys. Oh, is this in the Transformers cinematic universe? No, 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 no. Disney has an agenda for putting little girls into STEM majors. This is a recurring theme in Wrinkle in Time and now with Dumbo, and I'm sure there's another one that we haven't seen, where they want to promote uh, girls to want to do math and science. Yeah. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. Well, I'm no. saying it is a thing. Well, this is it's a it is a representation thing, but the problem is that it hollows out her character to which all of her lines are like I like science. Right. That's all she says is like yeah, I do science. I yeah. don't like circus. I like science. Scientific I want method. Be, which yes. says scientific method like four which times. Which is so stupid because if you think about the most effective characters in movies, it's like this thing about what they do is just like a side point in the background while they're doing something else to be heroic not just like we're going to use science because yeah. science is good and science makes good science well and therefore i'm hero you you brought up a uh, series of unfortunate events uh violet baudelaire in that show is a borderline engineering genius yeah. and she's not talking about taking interest in science ever she just does it <laughs> she just does it because she's good at it and she yeah. doesn't have to talk about it. Yeah, instead of just saying it science, could, science, science, science. I it, like science. It can be done. Yeah, you don't have to tell it. She was basically like Reddit. That was her character. <laughs> it was like Epic Bacon Science Dad, not Circus. I'm not dumb. And then she's just turning the film at the end. <laughs> she's just cranking the projector. She becomes a projectionist. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just. I mean, it's bad. It's poorly written. Um, and like I said, I I'm not going to include this in the shit tier of movies that we have seen for this podcast. Being it's, it's the Predator, mid, mid level. I put it I'd above say, the Predator. I put yeah. it above Wrinkle in Time because it's a it kids is, movie. It's, yeah. However, if if we're to credit it for being a kids movie, then kids have to like it. And the kids in my theater did not like it. Mm. I don't think they seemed disinterested. The laughs that you heard were from parents in the theater. Yeah. Um. I'm, so I I don't think it I works. Would, I would kind of want to put this on the same level as Wrinkle in Time, but I think it, it it stays a solid notch above because it is a coherent story. Well, and also Wrinkle in Time is like you can't comprehend what's happening. Well, and also I think Tim Burton does kind of bring a Tim Burton quality to it that does raise it over just being like some nobody making a right. Yeah, movie. it is not to shit on um um Anna DuVernay who made. Wrinkle in Time, but I think that this movie is better directed than A Wrinkle in Time. Yeah, I mean, at least um, Duvernay was trying to do weird shit. Yeah, I she mean, she was trying to do stuff. Story. I'm just gonna quickly play the Harry Devil's Advocate character and just kind of read off some of his criticisms or uh, um, uh, things that he liked about the movie. Dumbo is a perfectly fine kids movie. <laughs> it's it? nice. <laughs> it's nice. He's a nice elephant that helps people. His mom leaves, but that happens in the original. She I'm skipping leave. over other stuff. She is taken yeah. from him. Stolen away okay. in a very dramatic scene. I'm skipping over some of his so, other stuff because he's just praising Michael was, Keaton and how we should change the Oscars to look like Michael Keaton, which I'm all for. I mean, Oh, the Michael actual Keaton. statue? Yes, change the statue. Huh. Just, is he, let's is give he him Michael Keaton. Like, I, think he's I bad. like him. 
I think he's I don't think he's bad. I think he's he's making a choice. I mean, you have to think he's not given the script and the lines that he's doing. When t- Tim Burton and the writers come to him and they're just like, "Hey, we need you to go push a bunch of knobs, and we're gonna have somebody behind you say, "Hey, don't do that. You're gonna explode the place," and then have him keep pressing knobs while shit's sparking up next it to was, him. I mean, that was that was one of the worst scenes I've the ever seen. The climax of this they, movie they, is so bad. Okay, so it they made yeah. me just. I was like, "Can this movie fucking end already? It would not." So, and Dumbo and Eva Green fly into a water tower, which is actually the control center <laughs> yeah, for the whole thing. It's like theme an park. air traffic control. But thing. also, there's a, a theme park ride. There's like rails that like go around yeah. it. So it's also incorporated um, in that. Eva Green, they pop in. She's like, hey, fellas. <laughs> and <laughs> nothing she, to see here. And then she like, she, she turns off one of the power <laughs> knobs and then they restrain her. And then Dumbo becomes a, a genius and he, <laughs> he becomes a STEM genius <laughs> at the end. And he expertly turns off every little power knob in the theme park it's because his, nose, his intelligence is just he is rain man at this <laughs> point he's, fly, so, he's okay? a genius like, he understands english too yeah yeah like, they just uh, talk to him and he knows what they're in saying. fact he's, he's much like smarter. i understand your key pendant now that reminds me of my oh mom my who's God. going to die and then michael keaton <laughs> comes up to this control center and is just like screaming <laughs> like he is he's just like honking mad he's hollering and this this like nebbish guy who works at the control panel is like uh sir i don't know if you can do that like that's not actually <laughs> not possible at this time to turn the power back he's like ah and he just like fucking starts like he's flailing his body around wildly it was i've it's so bad i was hollering <laughs> like, it's so i was just sitting there laughing and i felt bad because i could tell like the dad who was there with his son for the they wanted this first dolby experience to be so good together and so he was like trying to like watch it and be serious about it and i'm just sitting there like laughing while shit's sparking and michael uh, keaton's like going all crazy eyed he went like full beetlejuice in this movie just like i'm just gonna fucking go crazy and turn off knobs yeah you want to get nuts <laughs> so nuts. um so the original dumbo has the scene where dumbo gets drunk i think it is and it has that yeah, he gets really up. really like weird scary sequence for children uh like kind of yeah, like psychedelic bubble visuals. things yeah. uh uh funnily enough this is actually the second tim burton movie where he's taken on a disney property that in the past had an upsetting scene for children the alice o- in wonderland well that and the other one being uh so i guess the third because uh charlie and the chocolate factory the yeah, original right. has is the, that disney i don't know i don't think Good that no, but the Charlie or Willy? I'm Wonka? assuming anything now is Disney. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. But it's so that I mean that's the type of movie he gets. He foregoes. I think that he made the right choice. Like I think that was really cool what he did. The with, bubble scene in this movie was yeah, awesome. It's looking. very. It was cool. really. Cool it's a reflection looking. in Dumbo's eye of these bubbles like turning into elephants. <laughs> it, it's well done. Like it's well directed. It looks great, but it doesn't really serve yeah, any but purpose. What's the point? I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the point of the original scene in Dumbo was like to scare kids off of being drunk, like of drinking. Right. It was to be like, hey, don't drink. It was in like here. a post uh, post uh, prohibition world yeah. where they're like, hey, alcohol is legal yeah. now. Again, this one's just don't, like, don't do it. The fancy Dreamland Circus has like artificial reality. I just, I just uh, augmented. Reality I thought it was a nice shit. little fan service, though. It was a nice right. little like, hey, yeah. we remember, well, but I we're mean, not going to scare you. Well, kid that that, much. that kind <laughs> of leads to a big point of this movie that the all of the pros are that this movie looks cool in a lot of different ways. It just doesn't serve any purpose to the narrative pretty much all the special effects worked for yeah me. even dumbo uh, dumbo looked silly in all of the trailers like 
the big ass eyes and the weird like wrinkling of it, it all seemed very uncanny. And I did kind of buy into him being an elephant at right. a certain point. Yeah. And when they put the, the, the clown makeup on. Oh him, yeah. No, it's actually kind of scene. sad. Like that was it's, a good scene. It's really like, and then watching that and Colin Farrell has one of his best moments. He's just like, look at how long, how far I've lowered myself. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't have anything else to say. We can kind of like wrap up. Yeah, honestly, yeah. not a great movie. I'd probably, I'm probably like a four or five. I'm yeah, around, I'm, there's some good scenes. Four I'm at a five. five. I've seen good I've seen worse movies for this podcast. Uh, so it's not at the very bottom, but it's near there. This fits right in your parabola theory, where there's nothing rewatchable. Exactly, this movie, and I'm never yeah. going to watch yeah, it. In ever my again. parabola, the five and six is where we enter unwatchability, mm-hmm. and that's where it entered for me. I was not enjoying it at any point. Even though shout out, good shout out to Colin Farrell though he's my guy. Uh, um, let's get into our top three Tim Burton movies though, because it's been a hell of a week watching <laughs> as many Tim Burton movies as I can. Yeah, and I've had a great time. Yeah. I uh, I think that we should try to do this more often without having to see the the shitty new movie. Mm. So, uh, audience, let us know what you think as we get into these right. thoughts. So, do you want to do our patented system where if someone else has it higher, we wait to... to yes. Uh, okay, cool. Yes. So, let's just so, start. It's patented. So Nobody let's start else with... can do it except for us. <laughs> yep, it's only us. We invented it. So, let's start with your number three, I guess. Well, yeah, before I start, I just want to say that I think we should maybe save a little time at the end to talk about movies that don't show up on any of our lists because it, it was hard to narrow dude, it down it's, to three. Dude, it's really hard to narrow it to it. I, I messaged you guys trying to push for a top five yeah. just because it would just take I, up think too that, much time, I honestly think that Burton has probably seven or eight really right. good to great movies. Yeah, so we'll see what overlap there is. My number three is Edward Scissorhands. Save it. Okay. Um, okay, that's also, I think... Let me check my list. I forgot. I think that's all. No, that is my number three as well. Okay. So. Yeah, say that. Um, my number three, I don't think it's going to make either of your lists, is Sweeney Todd. No way. That's very surprising. Um, I love this movie. Longtime listeners of the pod know that I am a big, I'm a big musical head. Mm. Um, Sweeney Todd is actually one of my favorite musicals of all time. Um, I've seen the play itself and seen the movie. So it was a play first. Yeah, it was a play first. Yeah. Um, I just think that this is actually one of my favorite Johnny Depp performances, uh, just because he really captures this feeling of Sweeney Todd. It's so stylized in this great way. Um, I mean, I guess we can kind of use this time to talk a little bit about uh, Tim Burton's arc that he had, because like late 80s through mid to late 90s, he was on this historical run, like this unbelievable run. Every single movie he made was great. Then kind of started to fade off a little bit, made Big Fish, and then kind of started to fade away again. Sweeney Todd is his last great movie. Hmm. And that was in 2007 at this point. So we're 12 years removed from that movie. Um, the music in this movie is great. The performances are awesome. It's so dark. Um, I think this is the last rated R movie that he made because there's so much blood and violence in this movie. Um, the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, man. All like, right. I just, I love this movie yeah, so much. It's also. Uh... It's Helena Bonham Carter, too. Yeah, uh, which is... Uh, Burton's girl. Are they still together? Ha- yeah, uh, I believe so. Um, Half-Ass Internet Research Corner. Um, Helena Bonham Carter really wanted to play Mrs. Lovett, and Tim Burton was like, no, I don't want to give you the role just because like nobody else... like I, People are just going to think I'm paying favorites, and I don't want to like do that. And so then um, she went in like under a surname in the open auditions that they had, and like went there after like several other performances, nobody was feeling anybody, and she went in there and Mrs. Lovett, and then just fucking killed it. And Johnny Depp was in there doing the uh, process with 
Tim Burton and Johnny Depp was like, no, we we have nice. to have her. Like she was amazing. That's cool. Uh, Depp was nominated for best actor, and it was also nominated for costume design and art direction. Oh, it won art direction. I think it won. Yeah, I was gonna say I know that it won. Uh, I knew it won either costume or art direction or something like that because this like it captures the griminess of like that uh, that. 20th century 19th century uh, London like perfectly everything is always cloudy and dark and gloomy and it just feels gross you can see people like throwing shit and piss on the streets and everything in this movie Sounds like London. just making meat pies out of humans and cats and whatever else yeah. fucking meat that they can find see, that's that's why I didn't watch this movie when I was a kid and I don't think I think I remember parts of it and like I remember like catching bits and pieces because my sister's like a big theater nerd like she she loves this shit um but i don't know i that the the cannibal part upset me oh i I mean it is see like i grew up on horror movies and shit like this and musicals so this was kind of like the perfect blend of that venn diagram for me i just think that this movie is just so like it's so powerful with how how it blends these two things together because the music in this movie and in the play itself are they're great songs they're very catchy they're very poppy but they aren't like classic musical songs they're very like not not rock is the wrong term but they kind of have like this dark piano uh yeah evanescence symbolism to it yeah it's evanescence-esque it's it's a perfect setup for burton to just take it and run with it yeah yeah um so we're to your number two now number two Batman Returns. Oh, this is on my own. I wanted to put this on my list so bad. So I actually haven't seen this since I was very wee. Guys, this movie is so good. This movie is fucking nuts. I actually have a take. I think that this is probably the second best Batman movie ever. Well, second or third. Okay, so there's a couple couple things with this movie. I could do a whole pod on this movie. Second to Batman Robin. I'll of keep course. it I'll keep it brief. This movie it, I will st- I could be aligned with the take that it's one of the best Batman movies, but like Batman is barely real. He's barely a presence in the film. Yeah. It's more about the penguin. Yeah. He has good moments and you, you get a great performance from, uh, uh, Keaton as Bruce Wayne and Batman. And you get the sense that like this dude is fucking crazy. Like the first time we see Batman, we see Bruce Wayne in this movie. He's just sitting in his mansion with all the lights off waiting for the bat signal to turn on. He's just sitting there doing nothing. So and I then act- the bat signal turns on. And he's like, all right, here we go. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I do think that Michael Keaton is the best Batman that we've ever had just because I think that he does play both Bruce Wayne. He plays the charismatic Bruce Wayne and the like menacing Batman figures perfectly with each other, where I feel like every other every other Batman that we've seen kind of leans more into one versus yeah. the other. And I think that Michael Keaton has the best balance between those I, two. I really love Christian Bale's uh, Bruce Wayne. Cause with Bale's Wayne, you get the sense that he's like, pull, he's putting on an act. Yeah. He's like doing like this, like showy billionaire performance. And I really like that. But what I love about Keaton's Batman in retrospect, now having seen the Nolan movies, is he doesn't go full throat cancer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, also, I think that Bale is a better Bruce Wayne just because he's like, he's so pretty. 
Like Christian Bale is just, especially at this yes. time, he was just a pretty boy. Michael Keaton was never like that, like much of a hunk. Mm-hmm. Like where Christian Bale is just like you look at him and he's like movie yeah. star. Michael Keaton kind of had to earn his way. Right after he did the first Batman movie, he did Beetlejuice, in which he's just covered in makeup so that he's like almost identified. Beetlejuice was before uh, Batman. Oh, excuse me. Yeah, yeah but and the the reason why uh, I didn't put uh, the first Batman on my list, I wanted, I didn't want to take up my list to. Have two spots with Batman on. I just wanted to pick one, is because the first Batman is really just all about Nicholson as the Joker. Like mm. he fully takes over that movie through and through, and there's not much else there. Like you do get the establishment of uh, a dark superhero in this big budget movie. Like that really hadn't happened before. Uh, you know, now in 2019 lens, it's not dark at all. But in those days, it was pretty dark, and we hadn't really seen Batman done in that way. And Burton kind of changed the game with that Batman uh, movie in 1989. But the reason why I think Returns is better is because it's like untapped Burton. Like Burton in the first Batman movie was trying to do something a little bit more conventional, even though it does get very hammy and ridiculous. Everything in Returns is just nuts. It's fucking nuts, dude. Penguin gives a speech to a room full of penguins who then go and attack Gotham it's... with like rockets on their backs that look like like carnival attractions like like uh, a grocery store coin operated yep. carnival things and then he takes over Batman's Batmobile with like this like weird red uh carnival bomb looking thing and there's no like big action set pieces it's a lot of dialogue Christopher Walken plays a guy named Shrek Plays a guy named Shrek. <laughs> the Maxwell, Shrek. Maxwell Shrek, who's like uh, some sort of... Get indust- out of my swamp. <laughs> Is he's that like, good? Yeah, he's like... Can, we, in- can we cut that out, actually? <laughs> That's staying in. That's staying in. I don't have anything else to contribute to this conversation. He, he plays like this industrial uh, guy, like executive guy. I don't know. It's Christopher Walken as this weird Burton-esque villain. Uh, donkey. <laughs> I And the the reason why it all works is because you you have the first uh, Batman movie to kind of set up the character, right? And set up this take on it. And in this movie, it just all gets blown up. And people actually did not like this movie as much as that Nicholson one because mm-hmm. it was like more Burton, more dark. And uh, Michelle Pfeiffer as Catwoman is... Ooh, <laughs> making me feel all sorts of things. Right. And <laughs> Calm uh, down. <laughs> she, she goes. It, this is like kind of her movie. Like it's her arc because she goes from being this kind of um, mentally abused uh, secretary because she's uh, Shrek's secretary, <laughs> and Shrek like pushes her out a window and murders her. And like before that, he's like, there's a lot of ab- abuse in the workplace happening. And then when she becomes Catwoman, she is just this like badass kind of yeah, yeah kind of just... beacon for feminism yeah. or the the version that it could have been in 1992. Yeah, I and... bet it's it's probably one of those movies where if it were made today, it would have just been a Catwoman movie. Yeah, you know, and it kind of is. I mean, Devito gets a lot of screen time, and Devito's just. Oh, oh my god he's, he's so, like he eats a raw fish yeah he literally like bites right in so that's i wanted to talk because i saw this movie pretty recently too uh not this past week but pretty recently and like one of the things that like i love about this movie i feel like turned people away at the time but if 
a movie like this with updated effects and everything came out now, I think it would be a hit just because there's like a double twist that happens in this movie. The first time that you meet Penguin, you immediately are just like, ew, that guy's gross. He's a villain and everything else. But then they try and like reshape him and turn him into like being like a mayor of Gotham. Yeah. Well, and all he wants him... is he just, he wants to be regarded as a person. Yeah, he just he doesn't want to wanna be like looked at as just this like sewer boy, like gross man. But then like, it twists again. And it's like, oh, he's the bad guy. Which now we look back and we're like, yeah, no shit, whatever. But like, but the way the, it, time, the way it plays out in the film, it works. Yes, exactly. And that's the whole thing is that about the story is like that it works so well is that this really is less of a Batman movie than any other Batman movie, but it works so yeah. well because the story is so good. The story of this, like, the script of this movie is so much better than the first Batman yes. movie. Well, because there actually kind of is a story. Yeah, in the first, first Batman one, movie, it's like it's. Batman. It's well, just, it's just Batman's Batman there, and then Joker's there doing Joker things. Yeah, exactly. And that's it. In this movie, there's there's an arc for Penguin, a clear arc for Penguin, and a clear arc for Catwoman. And uh, uh, Bruce Wayne compliments the Catwoman arc perfectly because he fills this role of almost like the girlfriend in yeah. the movie. He he's like the girlfriend archetype, and he. Catwoman's like going off like about to murder people she's fucking nuts and then Batman's like hey look we can be happy together we can be normal crazy superheroes that dress like dark animals we don't have to kill people Mm. and there's like this actually really touching moment where they connect and they're like we're the same we both like to dress in black suits (laughs) and this movie is just this is what I was kind of hinting at earlier about Burton not being into creating realism oh, and no. like leaning into the movie magic of everything and the way Gotham is uh depicted in this movie it doesn't feel like a real place but it also feels like it could be a real place in its own reality yeah right. There um, is a tangibility to it. So speaking of surrealism, uh, my num- your number two, my number two is Pee Wee's Playhouse. Whoa! Oh god, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I, yeah, sorry. Fuck. Not not the show I, itself. I keep calling it that. Um, so I had not seen this in, until like three days ago. I wish so badly I had seen this as a kid. I wish that I like I've seen this movie. I saw this movie when I was really young. I don't remember like a so, single thing about so it. So some some half-assed internet research here. Uh, I already knew a lot of this. Uh, Paul Rubens, who plays Pee Wee, was he had been working on this character for about five years. He had been doing it at just at like he'd been doing stand-up gigs as this character, which at the time, by the way, was very fresh to do that to do a character at a stand-up show. That was like Andy Kaufman. Like he had he had been the first person to do that, and that was like three years earlier. Right. So he this was like one of the first alt comedians, Paul Rubens, like ever. Um, and so he does this show, and he does this character, Pee Wee Herman, this really super happy, optimistic kind of creepy guy. Uh, but in his stand up act, it was an R rated character, lots of innuendo, like lots of like you know unintentional, like ooh, did I just make a sex joke? That type of thing. Uh, he gets this movie deal after he has an HBO special for Pee Wee Herman that did very well, obviously. Uh, he gets this movie deal, and they go with the choice to make it PG. They make it for kids. Uh, and at the time, it was probably rated G, if I'm guessing, because the rating system was different back then. Uh, and it works. Like, this is an absurdist, surrealist, visually based uh, comedy, 
the whole time I was watching it, I was just thinking SpongeBob, SpongeBob, SpongeBob. Everything about it was scream. Like I afterward, I had to Google it because I was like, "There's no way that SpongeBob was not influenced." It was almost a decade before. I know. Too. Yeah, there, I was like, "There's no way that this character did not influence the character of SpongeBob." And I, I looked it up, and he said that SpongeBob is based on two people. Period. And one's Pee Wee Herman. The other one is Stan Laurel from Laurel and Hardy, mm. um, which is like way farther back. That's probably what Pee Wee was basing his thing off of. Um, but it, this movie was so fun. Like, that's all it is. It's just, it's straightforward, like, very well-conceived visual gags for the most part. Um, and then there are some funny, like, dialogue jokes, but it's really about what you're seeing. Um, and in that way, it's it's basically a cartoon. And that's why I think Tim Burton fits so well for this movie, because they were basically like, you know, you've done some, like, I guess this was his directorial debut for a big picture. Yes. Um, they were like, you're into weird shit. You can do the weirdest shit you want with this movie it just can't be like you know r-rated yeah he didn't go like nightmare mode yeah but it's still like there's some like truly bizarre visuals that if you're a little kid they would leave an imprint on you like when the trucker lady looks over at him and makes the face and she turns into like a claymation face there's a lot of like fun directing things like that well there's a recurring thing with burton and this is something that uh, jack nicholson talked a lot about when he uh was doing press for the Joker, or even later talking about the Joker, uh, kids like to be scared. Mm. And that's something that doesn't really get embraced in media nowadays like it used to in the 80s Yeah, because people 90s. get mad. Yeah, because of like kid. PC culture and shit. But like, there's a way to do kid-friendly horror. And Burton, like, I think did that like no one else. Yeah, because it also has this sort of almost like a lightheartedness to it even though it's scaring you it's also like kind of like funny mm-hmm. um so it takes the edge off instead of just like a dark ass movie like dumbo like if that movie had also been scary it would have just been like a nightmare for a child because <laughs> yeah. there's nothing re- like happy about the movie almost um i really wanted to check this one out but um, i do i i truly really enjoyed this i because i was watching it through the lens of like an episode of spongebob yeah um you can't watch it through like a critical comedic lens and ruben's performance yeah he's awesome it's so funny to imagine this movie would have never been greenlit today because he looks and the character is creepy (laughs) like but you can see the influence all over the place like specifically spongebob like this absurdly optimistic guy just going around and kind of like brightening up everybody's day and sometimes you know rubbing people the wrong way um <laughs> whoa yeah Ayo. but i didn't realize that uh he, he got the show after this yeah i never as a kid i was like yeah he did the show and then you get the movie because that's typically how it goes he did this movie and then he got this children's show on cbs um, which featured Phil Hartman, who later went on to be one of the greatest uh, cast members ever on yeah. SNL. Uh, Phil Hartman co-wrote this movie with Paul Rubens and one other guy. And Phil Hartman is a genius. He is, I think, one of the most underrated uh, people in comedy history. Uh, he's one of those people that like every comedian will be like, oh, I was I was influenced by Phil Hartman. Like, uh, he's dead now. But <laughs> All right, uh, yeah. Rubens has a cameo in Batman Returns. Oh, he yeah. plays Penguin's dad, <laughs> wow. and he throws Penguin into the sewer does that's, he oh that's my lovely. god I, I um, remember that. but yeah so he went on he had the show for like five years he got arrested for jacking off in a porno theater right. that rubbed people but the there's wrong a way. new movie on netflix well yeah big so holiday I think. cut to 2016 he gets uh yeah he gets a new movie that is written it's produced by judd apatow and co-written by paul rust who's one of my favorite uh people <laughs> period uh i haven't seen it I've heard it's like, you know, it's a valiant effort, but it just doesn't have the same magic mm. factor because, you know, it's directed by Burton. 
written and it was the 80s and it was so fresh when it came out back right. then but still i i thoroughly enjoyed Damn, the experience even though it's not a perfect movie by any means it's just very fun to watch it was enjoyable and as a burton movie like it's his first one so it yeah. kind of like he was in a way it sets the great. stage yeah, for yeah. everything he was very burton off the like out of the gate <laughs> <laughs> he came out burton right. <laughs> that makes sense number two hunter my number two we can get into it now is edward scissorhands Ooh, okay um, cool yeah so it was both of our number threes yeah um you should talk about just how, you know, like, everybody saw this and they're like, yes, Bay needs to have knives on his hands. Yeah. Like yeah. That's this, what it This needs. movie perfectly encapsulates what Burton is best at. Yeah. Which is he, nobody else could make the movie about the man with the scissors who falls in love who work. fucks. Yeah, no, because the thing is that Johnny Depp does not look good in this movie. No, he, he right. just he like looks shit. he looks yeah. like shit. He's so like there's so much uh, like foundation on his face that he's just like a white person. And he just like has like just a little tiny lipstick and just like chopping yeah. edges and stuff. Um, but people are like, women oh, are yeah. having oh, orgasms when he cuts his yeah, hair. Like they're having it's, it's incredible yeah. watching this their movie. toes are curling when he cuts their hair. And the story <laughs> itself is pretty simple. Like there's no big set piece happening the big the closest thing is what happens at the end at the his house with jim and i guess i'll talk now th- about jim because that's uh, i think edward scissorhands is pretty much a perfect movie except for jim and <laughs> the character of jim really brings it down for me yeah. but spoilers if you haven't seen ed uh ed hands edward scissorhands murders jim <laughs> at the end of the movie <laughs> just stabs him and throws him off the window and i was like oh shit okay all right now I, i'm good i'm good i'm good um, but that whole character is horrible because that should be the character that's like the closest thing to the audience surrogate that we have in the movie because it's like hey there's a man with scissor hands <laughs> yeah don't don't love him he has scissor hands. Well, and that's that's why i really enjoyed this movie thoroughly i again i just saw this for the first time yesterday um oh. And I just, I truly, because it is such an absurd concept that you really don't, you can unburden yourself from logic. Unburden. You know what I mean? You don't have to think, well, someone unburden. needs to call the cops. It's just, this movie is in a fantasy reality. And like, it, yeah, and it works. It's okay for you to just not worry about that stuff yeah. because the story is, it's funny. It has a whimsical quality to it, even though it gets very dark, um, which is again, an, a Tim Burton thing. Like he, it has this air of just like, ah. You don't but, don't think too much about and it. And it revels in the smallest things like Ed just trying to eat. Like he's just trying to eat. It's food. It, those are some great moments. Like some great like visual yeah, gag. Him moments. trying to bring a single pea to his mouth <laughs> with yeah. the blades. But just the reason I like this and the reason I like every Tim Burton movie I like is it is a concept that you would think would be a children's movie because of its absurdity. It's such an imaginative – like the Avon lady adopts a guy with scissors for hands. Like that is a kid's concept, but right. he takes it and he he doesn't treat it like a kid's movie. He just treats it like he he's willing to – challenge an adult to have an imagination well, and I almost, that's what i like about i almost him. feel like that's i mean because i feel like that's kind of a similarity thing going across all of our lists is that he's just over the last few years last decade or so tim burton has just been like well i'm just gonna make kids movies and the thing whenever he was like at his peak of his powers is that he was able to make something that's mainly for adults and some kids can like just because it looks silly yeah and we but leave- like it has like major adult themes that yeah. like adults are the people who really actually mean something to or at least like teens no you're yeah you're not right just children well especially because we live in a culture now that's much more open and much 
less willing to suppress the inner child, the mm. inner silliness or the imagination. Like if he made adult movies now, they would do well if he, if they were good. Yeah. Um, and he's making these soulless children's movies instead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I appreciate Tim Burton in theory almost more than I do in reality because mm. I love the idea of saying, no, you're an adult, have a fucking imagination, watch this movie and just like, let yourself go a little bit. It's yeah. going to be okay. You can be an adult and like think about crazy shit. Right. <laughs> you're not going to lose your mind. <laughs> right. Right. And with, with Ed Scissorhands, like, it's just back to that same point about the the real the lack of realism, right? Like this town, it's it's like a void. It's like it's an it's alternate not, reality. Yeah, it's not yeah. a real place. It's like yeah, but it's it's, it's the fifties, but also the nineties, and then everything <laughs> in between. Yeah, it's a nuclear. Yeah, it's like a nuclear city. It's like nuke town, basically. Yeah, that's the aesthetic of their town. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I I just again I I do like this movie in theory more than I do in practice, just because. There are little things that Tim Burton does in every movie that just bother me, and I can't get over it. Um, he always it, has a blonde girl. Well, it's it's just it's a pacing situation. It is. I mean, but it, well, not to one thing about the the girl kind of aesthetic too is that they always kind of there's always a woman who has like that fifties beauty aesthetic where they all have that same like perfect perm. Almost, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Um, but it's the I just I think every Tim Burton movie I've seen, I've it's like a scene by scene basis thing where it's just I, I haven't seen a movie of his where just through and through I was like yes there's always a scene or two that are just a little gratuitous the pacing of them sucks or the tone of it just does not match any other part of the movie um, and it doesn't ruin the movies for me um, but it just takes them a little a notch down from what they should be because in theory this I love this movie well it, there yeah. is there is a period in time I mean you could even lump Batman into this but with Ed Scissorhands or Beetlejuice or even like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, the main character is always like this fucking weirdo. <laughs> and it's always about the weirdo finding some semblance of conventional life, normal life with a normal yeah. girl and, and love. And I think that that's just Burton. Even though he's not writing these movies, in a way, it's like him sort of trying to figure himself out. You know, like, but Ed, Edward Scissorhands, it, he gets a story credit. He doesn't get a screenplay credit, but... It's borderline like a autobiography of his life, like yeah. uh, not not literally, but like the themes of it, the feeling of it. Because there's just one moment where after Edward gets uh, arrested, there's like a psychiatrist or something that the the cop is like, "Hey, is he gonna be okay?" And the psychiatrist is like, "Well." You know, after years in isolation, he doesn't really adapt well to what we call reality. But yeah, he'll be fine. And that's, he's kind of talking about Tim Burton. Yeah. You know? I like, I, so I mean, to this whole point about like uh, Tim Burton and his whole aesthetic that he's going for, one thing that I do really love about Tim Burton is over his whole filmography, he's just kind of embraced what are the quote-unquote freaks of society. And I think yes. that's one thing that yeah. got me excited for whenever Dumbo, whenever it was announced that he was making this, is because like this is a movie about like circus freaks, mm. like whenever it comes down to it. And yeah, it makes sense. He was like casting, like even like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, which is not a movie that I really care for, it's like he had like actual like little people in that movie and like playing the role. Like he's always like trying to oh, find... Oompa Loompas? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, I... Well, we can kind of use this as a transition. 
if you guys want. I don't know if y'all have the same number one as I do, but for like something like Big Fish, that's my number. They one. have yeah. Albert. They have um um. Let me pull up the guy's name. Uh, Matthew McGrory, who at one time was the largest, one of the largest men on the planet Earth. He's seven foot six. He's the largest actor of all time. Um, actually, play a giant. Yeah, and like Tim Burton loves to kind of take these people who have been the outcasts of society and put them in the limelight and say, no, these people actually have something beautiful yeah. so about we, them that they can do. Do we all have big fish? I do, too. Number one? I number do one. Big oh, fish. my God. I wasn't, actually, I wasn't expecting you guys to have big fish um, as number one. Guys, but. big fish is – it's so good. But it's like the almost the least Tim Burton-y movie of them all. So I it's actually – It's weird. So I think that – I think Big Fish is a masterpiece. I've seen this movie probably three or four times. It gets better and better as I get older. I sob like, at the end. Every, every single time. time I watched this movie, I saw it. The first time I ever saw it, I was homesick. And, like, I was just, like, I, like, stayed home. So it was, like, a week straight that I had to stay home. I was, like, so ill. And, like, he gets to the point where he's, like, bedridden and has this machine, like, stretching his body out and stuff. And I'm, like, that's kind of how I feel that I am right now. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then, Get over yourself. <laughs> I'm basically as, as much of a dying. hunk as Ewan McGregor. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think but, the, the one of the biggest uh, – uh, wins of Big Fish is that he didn't cast Johnny Depp in the lead. He <laughs> cast Aaron McGregor. Aaron McGregor oh, and Albert Bloom. Finney. Can you imagine? Yeah. I, Thank God. I'm like, not a big fan of Depp. He's done great stuff, but more often than not, when I see him in a movie, I don't like well, him. Well, in 2003, he was still doing good Depp. At this point, now I roll my eyes whenever I see Johnny Depp gets cast for something because now, especially all the reports are out, he just gets lines fed to him because he doesn't even bother yeah. reading a script at this point um, which is but to, to your point though about how this is in a way very different from other tim burton movies that's why this is better for me because i i thoroughly enjoyed like peewees and uh edward scissorhands but the emotional arcs did not hit half as hard as they do in big fish yeah. that's the big difference is the emotional side of this movie is in reality the the reality and the fantasy are like distinct from each other instead of like it's just a, it's, a merging it's well, almost like a commentary on burton yeah on exactly Burtonism yeah. as like a concept yeah it's, well, and, it, i mean at this point this is like after he's already had his big 10-year run that he had of making all these kind of movies with incredible whimsy and uh this kind of huge fantasy element to it the way that he blends the family drama aspect with the fantasy is perfect in this movie. And I don't think I've ever seen like another. The thing is, while rewatching this, the closest thing I could compare this to is actually Forrest Gump. Yeah. With the way the story is told, even like certain themes, yeah. uh, the fantastical element, and the then just journey. like the story of like, yeah, this grand journey that they go on. And uh, here's a hot take for you guys I think Big Fish is a better movie than Forrest Gump. Oh, yeah, easily. Oh, wow, I was really? I was expecting, I was expecting oh, for that yeah. to be a hotter take. Forrest I mean, Gump I is love, known for a masterpiece. No, but. I love Forrest Gump. It, it won the Oscar. The, I, would like, have to, I would have to think about that one. It's still a great movie, yeah. but I th I, Big Fish is one of those movies that, it even though it's based on a book, it feels like this singular thing that like could never be replicated again. It's it it just works on every level. I'm just going to run through the cast real quick. We oh. had Edward... Um, or yeah, Edward Bloom is Albert Finney and Aaron McGregor. Then we got Billy Curdup as the son, Jessica Lange, uh, Marion Cotillard, and Helena Bonham Carter rounding out that that supporting cast. And then appearances by Steve Buscemi and Danny DeVito, and then a whole bunch of other people like 
Roy from The Office. Roy from The Office. David yeah. D- Denman, um, who, man, like perfect casting by that. Because every time I see that dude, I just want to punch yeah. him in the face. And and, and Jessica Lang in this movie, or, or actually I should say Alison Lohman as the, the young um, Sandra, she's perfect because like not only does she embody that kind of Burton blonde girl archetype, but there's just there's almost like this storybook element to the story where it's it's like that that that's just the whole through line in this movie that you're seeing the story in in a in a bias that you are aware of that bias yeah exactly because yep. by the end of the movie it's all kind of come to light that the stories are are 100% true but they were just embellished at every single opportunity yeah, that he got. Exactly. And b- like I said, the delineation between the fact that there is one character who was like, no, that's not true. The whole movie, he's like angry at these stories. Yeah. That keeps the like family. all lies. That, well, that just keeps the family drama so grounded instead of yeah. being an absurdist, uh, like out there movie that's trying to also be like really grounded, but it's not at all. And know? also the the just the the writing element of it being the end of this man's life. Yeah, like he is dying. His son knows that his father is is on his deathbed, and he's like, Dad, like you have told me these fucking stories your whole life. Can't you just be real at the at the end of the life? Just be real with me. And it just the climax of it all. And the way the the movie ends with him like retelling the story uh, of his life and all of the people in it, the whole movie that you've it's... seen up until that point, as he carries him to the water, is like one of the most emotionally impactful sequences in any movie I've seen. Yeah, no, I mean that scene just every single time I watch it I tear up. Even if I just like watch just the clip of it, I get choked up just watching the movie because it's so powerful. And then from that, how it leads into the funeral sequence and it's the perfect blend of things that his father has both um, like told and are perfect. Yeah. Like you see the giant and you see the carnival man, but then you also see the Siamese twin, which is actually just two Asian yeah. women and stuff like that. And then it makes you kind of question your own reality of everything that you're seeing of like trying like, all right, so what is actually real? What actually happened on this journey? And then what is embellishment? That is, that is interesting. There is kind of like a psychology aspect to this because of all, you know, s- more studies come out all the time about how our memories can be altered like very significantly yeah. and they can be implanted into someone that like it was something that never even happened to them. There's this uh, documentary called Inception about that <laughs> that I would recommend if you're interested. Um, another, uh, one of my favorite scenes of this, uh, of the whole movie upon like, this rewatch that I just did this past week is um, the scene with uh, the doctor whenever they're in the hospital room, like right when uh, uh, Ed is kind of on his deathbed and they're kind of saying they're talking to him and they're like, have you ever heard the real story about how your father, uh, about what happened on the day you were born, everything else? And he's like, yeah, you know, he was trying to get that big fish. I've heard the story a hundred times. He's just like, no, he was actually on a business trip and then your mother just gave birth and then that was it. And then he came home He's like, yeah, I would rather have the more embellished story too if I were you. Like, it's, <laughs> and it's true. Like, it's just kind of it. It 
it's such a great positive message for storytelling as a whole. That's why I feel yes. like it has this meta aspect to it where it's just like this is kind of the power of filmmaking yes. applies perfectly to the power of storytelling of your own. Like I have grandparents that whenever I like will talk to them, they'll tell me these stories. And I know that half of the shit is like bullshit, but it still just like makes for it's just a, good story. a great story. Yeah. And that's powerful. And like when I have a kid, I'm going to tell them stories. I'm going, going to lie, lie to, to my them. kids. Yeah, I'm going yeah. to lie to my kids. I'm, I'm going to tell. Like, I'm going to tell them that our podcast was wildly successful. Yeah, I'm going to be like everybody. <laughs> so our to our us. Patreon's getting like 20k a month. <laughs> We're coasting. Yeah, but that that also just goes back to the Burton point too. That I think again, he didn't write this script, but it's just perfect for him to make it because it's almost like he's trying to say like my approach to films is it's more indicative of the magic of movies because of how grand and unrealistic they tend to be. Yeah. And, and just for, just how removed they are from our reality. Yeah, it's like, yeah, exactly. A movie that is so fantastical and takes itself dead serious is not as good as a movie right. that kind of knows that it's absurd. Imagine the gritty version of Ed Scissorhands. That, yeah, yeah, exactly. Horrible. I'm thinking of, yeah, like these, there are a lot of like really dark sci-fi movies that are just dead serious and that can definitely work like Blade Runner. Yes. Where it's not, it's not winking at all at you. It's just like, this is real. Um, but sometimes that just really comes across as absurd. Like, it's like, you can't pretend that this is real. And Tim Burton's not, uh, he's not concerned with telling us whether or not it's like rooted. He's like, you know, this is just, yeah. it's in my head. It's fantastical. Do you guys have like a favorite scene in this movie? There's so many great moments. I from, mean, like, that, that end scene. I did quickly want to say, because the this guy who did the screenplay, his name is John August, um, who he has such a diverse uh, writing catalog that you look on here. Uh, so he wrote Charlie's Angels in 2000. <laughs> oh, my God. Which is, I actually like Charlie's Angels. I think it's a fun movie. <laughs> Then Big Fish 2003. Then he's done, a, like, that wasn't his only time working with Tim Burton. He also wrote the screenplay for Corpse Bride, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Franken and Weenie, and Dark, Dark Shadows. Mm. Some oh, of the worst, some Dark of the Shadows. very lower tier Tim Burton movies. And then this, this year he has two movies coming out. One of them is Aladdin. <laughs> that he wrote the screenplay for. No way. <laughs> the other one is Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Oh, GDT? Yeah. Dude. So, like, I just don't know what this dude is doing. Like, hey, this, you know what he's doing? He's, he's getting he's, paid. He's, yeah, he's getting that money. He's getting fucking paid. Yeah. Uh, I think my favorite sequence is the... Uh, when he finds that town. Oh, dude. When yeah. he finds, it's so yeah. creepy. It's it almost feels like you're stepping into, like, a, like... Uh, it almost feels like the village, like, the first time that you see that and... Um, um, the M Night movie, mm -hmm. like whenever you see that, and you almost it just feels so much of a different time. But you're watching this, and it already is a period piece, so you don't know what time that even is. Um, the only thing that's kind of weird about Big Fish, uh, if I was going to name one flaw, is where it like kind of becomes a statement on capitalism. Um, at one point, with like big business coming in there, and they right. they built a road he to the he town. Goes back and, to the town, and yeah, then yeah, even yeah. um uh. I don't remember the character's name, but the guy who Steve Buscemi plays, the poet who moves there, and he's just like, well, now I just have to resort to robbing yeah. banks and His everything. His name is Norther Winslow. Norther Winslow. Yeah, the biggest <laughs> biggest poet to ever come out of this small town in Alabama. <laughs> <laughs> Great Southern accent yeah. by Ewan. <laughs> he's also, killing it there. back to John August, uh, usually, I mean, uh, Drew, you've read the screenplay for Adaptation recently, yeah, and uh, Charlie Kaufman in that screenplay says that don't ever do voiceover 
Never yeah. ever do voiceover. The voiceover in Big Fish works perfectly. Yeah, because perfect again, voiceover. it's that storybook. Yeah, and be- to it yeah, all. because that's a stupid rule. Voiceover can <laughs> can work so well. Any just, anything you shouldn't do can work. Well, because <laughs> the thing is that voiceover is bad a lot of the time because a lot of the times it's just used for exposition. Right. Yeah. And whenever you're using it as a plot point, then it 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 can be used effectively. Also, uh, you mentioned this. Uh, when we were playing COD, but isn't Miley Cyrus in this movie? Yeah, Miley Cyrus is in this in movie. In the town? Yeah, she's actually, um, she's not in the town. She's uh, one of, she's the only girl who goes with them to go to the witch's house. Oh, when there's okay. the the band of kids, including yeah. young. Roy oh yeah, from Helena Bottom Carter as the witch, another great element to the movie. The eye yeah. that shows you how you're gonna die. Yeah, uh, but like you I see like that. stuff like that, um, with like her. Both playing the young version and the the old witch lady yourself, mm-hmm. and also like, I just love. That's one of my other favorite aspects of this movie is how he keeps saying like, "I'm not going to die like this," and they're like, "How are you going to die?" It's going to be like it's going to be a twist ending, and it is kind of a twist ending that his son, who always like he'll never actually reveal it, but his son, who's always like the 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 cynic of you yeah. know the, the whole movie. And just the way he becomes the big fish. When you just see him drop him in the water and he just <laughs> scurries away, like, Perfection. every single time. That, I mean, that's, Ugh, that's... So effective. That's, like, movie magic. That's just movie yeah. magic the, the at feeling its is, finest. Yeah, the feeling is, like, a Spielbergian type. Yeah. Like, you're like, anything is possible. So I can I can gonna, like, walk off a cliff after this movie because I can fly. Which, which <laughs> is why this is my number one. Because Burton made a career out of movie magic. And he was always able to like re- realize these amazing worlds, but in Big Fish, it just takes on a whole another meaning because it yeah. is our world. It's yeah. our world, but it's just kind of it adds this fantastic, fantastic layer to the just, world that we yeah. live it, in. It came together f- for me a lot better that because I I'm lower on Tim Burton than most people. I mo- honestly the majority of movies I've seen from him I haven't enjoyed. Uh, However, these three movies in my top three, I would recommend to everybody. Um, these are the three that I like. They're a step above everything do else. Do you guys want to do a few honorable mentions before we yeah, go? I do want to shout some out. That we like, didn't even talk about. Dude, we didn't Beetle, talk about Beetlejuice. Beetlejuice. Yeah. Beetlejuice That's is yeah. amazing. It's, like it, I love yeah. Beetlejuice. That was I my really, four. I really wanted to rewatch Beetlejuice and Batman Returns. Were like yeah. vying for my fourth spot. Beetlejuice is like a perfectly schlocky, like eighties weird fucking yeah. comedy. And Keaton's yeah. performance it's, is like yeah. on, it's iconic. It's manic. So iconic. 500%. Like, yeah. It's just an absurd. Like, it's so fun to watch. It's dumb and funny. Like, yeah. You don't need much more. And Alec Baldwin as a ghost. Yeah. <laughs> and just the practical effects of, like, some, some uh, of the creepy, it's timeless. weird shit that he does. Yeah. I do want to say, I don't think he completely dropped the ball with his Willy Wonka movie. I just think that he was. I actually like that movie. I don't. It's not a great movie. Uh, I don't I love like it, it, but he was in the shadow of Gene Wilder, who is beloved, so beloved. And that movie is so beloved. And he went, he, he went for something. I don't like Johnny Depp in the movie, personally. I think a lot of it works. That's my take. <laughs> I would probably put it in my top five. Well, actually, no, because I did see Ed Wood. Ed Wood would knock it out. Uh, I saw that for the first time this week. Didn't make my top three. I didn't see that, and I bet uh, it would be up there. For yeah, me. it's a true story about Ed Wood and how he's regarded as like the worst director of all time. Mm. And it's just the story of him, uh, like how he kind of shoulder his way into hollywood and it's actually this really heartwarming tale very similar to disaster artist yeah about how like people kept telling him like yo your movies are terrible and he was like okay i'll just i'll keep trying i'll keep <laughs> making them you know that's fine and and he is now like renowned 
as the worst filmmaker ever. Yeah, and, sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. Tell me why so. Yeah, and actually, uh, Depp's performance as Ed Wood is is very low key. Like he's not doing any crazy shit. He's just very straightforward down the middle. Uh, there is a cross dressing element to it. Apparently, Ed Wood was like a cross dresser, and like he incorporated that into his work and directing style. It calmed him. So that that's was kind of cool. Yeah, I, I've always wanted to see Ed Wood. I've heard that's a great movie. Yeah, I really like that. Um, yeah, also Mars Attacks. Um, that's not a great movie. Uh, I talked about it like probably like close to a year ago or so. Whenever uh, I saw it, uh, I think it played in theaters or something like that for like a twentieth anniversary thing last year. But um, it's so schlocky in the best kind of ways. It's kind of like when he's right at the tail end of his run. I think that was a movie they made right after Ed Wood. Because Ed Wood, like, I think that that was trying to be more of his Oscar push. And I think it so, might have gotten some love. Mars but, Attacks uh, was 96. Ed Wood was 94. Yeah. So that was his next project after Ed Wood. Um, which is almost like this dismantling of, like, B-list uh, 70s, 80s sci-fi movies. And the cast and the cameos in that movie are so good because at this point he's been an established filmmaker for 10 years at this point. So he can just kind of get whoever the fuck he wants. Jim Brown, the legendary football player Jim Brown just shows up and he plays a significant part in this movie. Good good running back. Anytime a legendary running back makes a transition to film, you know they're a good guy. You know they're a good guy. That's (laughs) never worked out ever, and that's why OJ's innocent. Yeah. Also, if we were if we were lumping in uh Burton produced films, then you know Nightmare Before Nightmare Before Christmas Christmas would be my number one. James and the Giant Peach. Uh, and you know we could do a whole nother pod on just the absolute travesties that have come out of Burton's career. That's the thing, man. He's made shit. Planet of the Apes, the the Wahlberg one is. Oh, that movie's so bad. It's a fucking train it's wreck. So bad. It has great makeup because like the apes are all suits. It's all like makeup and, and suits. Yeah. But it that's why I didn't watch Rise of the Planet of the Apes because I thought I just assumed uh, that it, it was left, still it connected and I just he didn't just, want Yeah, that. he's had a very bipolar career. I don't think he's coming back. He has some of the highest highs and the lowest lows of any filmmaker who's working yeah. right now. Yeah. Like when you look big, at his highs. Big guys was supposed to be the comeback. Yeah. You know, the Chris Oscar Al- movie. Yeah, Chris Boss, see, Amy Adams. Did you ever see Big Guys? I, I remember seeing a little bit of it, but it, I don't think I saw all of it. It didn't make much of an impression nah. on me. I didn't didn't really remember much of it. But hey, Dumbo <laughs> could be the big hit that we're looking for. Don't How's think it doing? So. I haven't looked at the oh, box office. Oh, yeah, let's office. check out box office My before, phone we, is actually dead, uh, but, uh... before we wrap up. Oh, the other thing I was going to shout out is uh, Miley Cyrus's first role is in big fish oh and she is uh she's credited as destiny cyrus mm-hmm. yeah because miley's a nickname it stands for smiley as in smile because she used to smile a lot because every no kid smiles way. a lot because she's hannah montana yeah yeah um Dude, hannah's back have you seen she's been posting vids wearing the wig <laughs> oh yeah i did see that yeah. it's kind of weird okay so <laughs> looks like dumbo is estimated to make 45 million this uh, weekend, imagine which is if, a low open. Imagine if, like, five, ten years ago, where it was, or no, let's say five years ago, because we knew who Jordan Peele was from Key and Peele at that point. If we said, like, hey, that guy's going to make a movie, it's going to make double what Tim Burton's new film is going to make. <laughs> it's made. And it's made by Disney. Yeah. That's just yeah. kind of a wild world it's, that we live in. I mean, in. it's going to get people, bec- like, at my theater, it was. 
it was like PTA moms, like a group of them together, and they were all just at one table I, chugging wine. But I think that this and is then, gonna And then be... all their kids were at another table not paying attention to the movie. And I then they left like, hey, be... that was great sport, right? Didn't you like it? And the kids are like, yeah, I I'm only going to say right now, this movie's going to have a huge week two drop off because nobody's going to see this movie twice. No way. Yeah, like no, this movie's going to stro- us, like us drop down to 33. So that's still about 50% drop, which is pretty standard for yeah. movies. What if us well, Shazam's next week. I was going to say what if us goes up. I uh, probably won't because Shazam and Pet Cemetery come out yeah. next week. So those yeah. are going to take away a lot of that. Especially Pet Cemetery is going to take away some of the horror screens. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, you're right. So yeah, let's let's wrap it up. That's the plan for next week. Shazam and Pet Cemetery double review for you guys. Let us know what you thought of the the broken up format. Uh, you'll hear uh, part two of this episode in a few days with our catch-up corner. Let us know what you thought of our uh, top three Tim Burton. What is your favorite Tim Burton movie? Is it uh, Miss Pellegrew's Home for Peculiar Children? Or is it Planet of the Apes? Tell you what it is. It's Miss We Bought a Mike's Home for Peculiar Directors. Is it Alice <laughs> Through the Looking Glass? The only sequel that Burton has made. Oh well, Returns. No, Batman did Returns. he make Through the Looking Glass? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't think that he directed that. He directed yeah, he that movie. Yeah. Oh no! Hey, we didn't talk about Frankenweenie. His big epic life story that he's Listen, always Tim had. Burton taught me hey, it was okay to be emo. So you know what? Uh, you know he what invented made me... Hot Topic. He culture. invented Scene Kids. For <laughs> the sure. biggest, the Edward biggest... Scissorhands. For he invented kids. Hot Topic. Like Hot yeah. Topic would not exist if it wasn't for Tim Burton. Absolutely. No, uh, Corpse Bride is probably one of the biggest disappointments I've ever had oh, in my yeah. life. Yeah. It's supposed to be the sequel to Nightmare Before Christmas. One of my favorite movies of all time. Why didn't? Why wasn't that on your list? No, Nightmare, it's, it's produced by him. He didn't direct oh, it. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know that. All right, yeah. well, let's wrap it up. Uh, you can find more episodes of We Bought a Mic on your favorite podcast apps. You can check us out on Twitter at We Bought a Mic, Instagram at We Bought a Mic, and We Bought a Mic at gmail.com. Email us all your thoughts on Dumbo. Do your full Dumbo breakdown. Dumbo uh, dump on us. Yes, yes. Uh, anything you guys want to plug? Uh, Twitter uh, dot com slash Drew D I E T Z E N. Yes, you know, popping off. Um, Twitter and Letterbox at Hunt Mobley H U N T M O B L E Y. Oh, I've actually I've been doing a little bit of a pre gaming for our end of the decade thing, and I have now ranked Jesus. my top movies for the last ten thousand yeah. years in cinema. Wow. Um, but really the last nine years I've done that. I'm getting ready to start to do a list. I'm going to probably put out now my top 50 of the decade, and then I'll kind of edit it. 2010 to 2019. 2010 to 2019, then I'm going to edit it as this year goes on to see if anything cracks yeah. the list. I, I have mine up on Letterboxd, too, at Calderness. My number one is Mad Max Fury Road. Oh, damn, way to spoil it. Now, Spoilers. Now, nobody's going nobody's gonna to look at your list yeah. now. My list, is it Dumbo? It's Dumbo. Is it the Predator? Is it Frank and Weenie? Uh, so yeah, hit us up. Hit me up at Caldernist. Bye bye. Come here. Say it, spit it out. What is it exactly? Your pain is the amount cleaning you out. Am I satisfactory? Today I'm thinking about the things that are deadly. The way I'm drinking you down, like I wanna drown, like I wanna end me. Step on the glass, staple your tongue. Ah.